This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by Joe's Fruit. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 57, talk with Lee Arenberg. Lee played Mike Moffat in two episodes of Seinfeld. Season three, The Parking Space, and season eight, The Susie. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 57, Lee Arenberg. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. Number one destination for Seinfeld fans is episode 57. Today's guest is an American actor. You know him from the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. He had a recurring role in the ABC fantasy drama Once Upon a Time. You have seen him in several of the Star Trek franchise shows, as well as some very popular 90s TV shows, including Night Court, Roseanne, Married with Children, and Friends. And of course, he played Mike Moffat in two Seinfeld episodes. The classic season three episode, The Parking Space, and the season episode, The Susie. Please welcome Lee Arenberg. Lee, thanks for joining, man. Yeah, hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, man, Lee, this is, uh, this is a real treat. I mean, growing up, we watched Seinfeld Wednesday nights, which I believe your episode aired, I'll never forget it, in uh, February of 1992. So take us back. Um, I know you were doing a bunch, you did a couple of sitcoms, Night Court, Perfect Strangers. Yeah, I mean, I'm a character actor, right? I mean, my big thing was I, had, I started a theater company when I was in college called The Actors Gang with like Tim Robbins, my buddies from UCLA. My, my uh, old roommate was like Kyle Gass from Tenacious D, Jack Black, was like worked with him when he was 12. You know, these are my homies, right? So, I mean, the theater thing was happening, you know, for sure. And I had done a Tales from the Crypt that got me sort of recognized for the first few times. But, I mean, this was standing ovation at the dog park kind of shit. The uh, Seinfeld first appearance. The power of 40 million people. The power of must-see TV. We don't understand. We don't experience that weekly. The impact now with all the nope. streaming. The audiences have been so diluted. And, you know, so it was a powerhouse experience. Uh, and honestly, it has never stopped from the moment it first aired until maybe even this week. Somebody would be like, hey, parking or whatever. I mean, it is, there's a magic to this comedy, you guys. It's a reason your podcast is going. Yeah, there's man. The generosity of the way it was written, they allowed the guest stars to be the funny. They were not afraid. These are very talented uh, performers and Jerry and, you know, and the crew in that they would allow the guest stars, if that's where the story went, they got the good lines. And that was brilliant. You know, that was yeah. magic, dude. We hear that a lot, man. We've been hearing that a lot from a lot of the guest stars we've talked to. And no better line than, man, that Michael Jordan sure is phony than uh, that. That's one of our classic. And written. You know, and I don't know if how much, the, you know, the other 56 guests have discussed, you know, the way sitcoms work in terms of there's a script on Monday and you get a whole new script Tuesday, then Wednesday and then Thursday, right? So every 
time, the first time, like say Monday, you do, you rehearse it, you do a performance of the script as is for the producers of the show. And then they rewrite producer writers. And then when the network comes, there'll be a network rewrite. And that Michael Jordan is so phony. I got tape day. Oh, wow. That whole speech. It was cool, you know? That, you know, as an actor, and especially as a guest star, I mean, when you're cooking as an actor, they give you more to do. It's a lot like football. It's my analogy. As a character actor, I'm like a third down back or a defense. I come in the nickel package, if you know football, right? Marcus Allen or Bo Jackson, who's your guy? You know, you're a Raiders guy. I'm a big Raider guy. I'm definitely both. Uh, they were different animals, right? Marcus, a legend for what he did, you know? And, uh, but I mean, Bo was the dude. There was, there was something about the way he ran that was special. Uh, but my point being is that you got to know your place as a character dude. So your job is to, in, and in comedy, to use another sports analogy, we always have to bat a thousand. Not allowed to miss a fucking punchline. And especially with the Jerry and the science, you know, this comedy is very scientific. It's like baking the exact right amount of powders mm. and it's alchemy that gets the laughter. The combination of the characters, the Kramer's physicality combined with the, you know, the height differences and the way it, all that goes into a, a wonderful show. Yeah, I'm I'm smiling just the way you say Jerry, you say it just like Moffat, but um <laughs> well, I'm in the character. I know, but but going back to going back, um and I do want to get into the episode, but tell us a little bit about the tell us a little bit about the audition. Do you remember anything about it? Was it with dude, Jerry? I remember it vividly, dude. Oh, it was the it was a watershed moment in my career, that audition, right? Right. Because I didn't want to go. What? I didn't want to do it. Not I didn't know what the show was, but I didn't want to drive to the valley at five and thirty. It was like a Seinfeld you, episode. Melanie Smith, <laughs> she just said the same thing to us last yeah, she week. Did the same thing when we talked about it. It's exactly the same thing. You're right over there. So it's an LA thing drive. when you live on the one side of the hill. You're going with the traffic. I was like, oh my god, you know, I became a character, right? And <clears throat> I walk into the room. Larry Charles, Larry David, Jerry, uh, God, more than that, a couple more of the dudes, right? The, and, and I'm just not smart enough to realize who, who everyone is, you know? I'm trying to be a baller. I'm a young guy. I think then I would have been, what, you're saying 92, so I'm basically 30. 29, like, yeah. Yeah, right? So uh, before I get to say anything and fuck it up for myself, that's usually what actors do. They get in there and we're nervous. We start talking. We blow it. Larry Charles. I had done this Tales from the Crypt. Have you guys seen my Tales from the Crypt? Mm-mm. Where I killed no, and doll and, <laughs> and uh, stuff her in a drum kit. I'm this evil rock and roll guy that extorts money from an Iggy Pop concert. And she's my awesome. I walk in and he goes, hey, you're the guy from Tales from the Crypt. This Larry Charles. And for the next 15 minutes, recounts the episode oh, to wow. these other guys. Gives me the greatest setup of my career as an actor, that I'm a somebody. It fucking felt good, right? Right. right. And then I, have, I actually have parking issues. 
I'm an LA guy. We have a lot of, we drive a lot, you know? So I could really relate to arguing over a fucking parking spot. <laughs> and then as, soon as, as soon as I did something like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> it just went like that. And it was that, it was just magic, you know? Sometimes as an actor, we just got to get out of our way and stop thinking and just become the person, become that character. Yeah. You... Good writing does that. Interest, it allows you to get in that role. Yeah. And this was season three. So, I mean, it was, like I said, it was still Wednesday nights. The show didn't really take off yet, but uh, I do love your points about how they let guests shine. And this episode, we've ranked all the episodes. We were just talking beforehand. I, I, no reason I can't put this in the top 10. We have a ranked 23rd, but. That's just fair. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it in the top. I mean, I put it up there because I'm in it, you know, and so it's definitely near and dear to my you know, life experience as one of my top 10 uh, roles I've played. Um, and especially on the impact. But I'm a fan of the show. There is something, you know, being a, I'm an LA Jew, but I have, you know, my mom's from Baltimore, my dad's from Chicago. I have relatives that are the Costanzas that live right, on right. the island. Right. They live in Merrick, you know, the Freeport, right? I mean, they are these people. And just today, um, my wife and I were arguing about nothing at like six in the morning, just to, but basically agreeing with each other by arguing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. she looks at me, she goes, We are the Costanzas. <laughs> this is my wife from Fresno. So these references have become part of our culture, you know, a soup Nazi or, so there's a brilliance to this material. It's still funny. Yeah, and you're, and you're, you're the episode we're talking about, the first, you know, the parking space is very New yeah. York. You know, the whole thing takes place on the street. Everyone comes out, they're putting their two cents. The Irish guy's fighting with the kid. I mean, it, at the end, the cops get involved. I mean, it's such a, such an amazing episode. You get Newman in there. You get, uh, you know, Real George Costanza. Yeah, you're getting so much going on there. There's a part we noticed. I just remember watching, rewatching last night one more time. It looks like you almost crack when George is yelling at Newman. I'm just curious, like, how much fun was that set? I mean, what, were there times you, where there was a whole thing deleted that, or anything like that? If you notice the time lapse on how that episode just all of a sudden gets way darker. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's pretty cool. I, I always noticed that. It's not cool because. It was late at night, and we. Well, that was real. I thought they used lighting to do that. It was. It just droned on because one of the reasons was we kept breaking character. It was so fucking funny. They couldn't. <laughs> they they actually had, if I recall, they had money on the next person that broke. Uh, when I when I turn, I go, "Why'd you tell him the Kramer?" <laughs> That's the one that would get him. They'd have to grip because. You know, the whole thing was I would, you, the fun is it just would come out. And in the same way that the Jerry Stiller, the volatility of, uh, of his character on the show, I mean, that's kind of what's fun about Mike, too. He's one of those, like, tea kettle dudes who just, like, blows a gasket. Yeah, and I love that. It, it fits perfectly. Like, you're Kramer's buddy, you know what I mean? Um, and just you meeting George, and, like, there's just that instant tension not only for the parking spot, but, but with Jerry as well, right? Like the friendship. Two short um, ball guys. I mean, in a way with George too, you know, there's that whole thing and, you know, uh, looking eye to eye at another guy is his chance to be super macho. 
And it's, you know, he obviously fucks up trying to fix the hat. I mean, it's just, it's brilliant. You know, the, the, the way they would build the comedy and the way that everyone had their lane. The comedy, everyone has a lane. The characters are well-defined. They say the show's about nothing because it's about everything. Mm-hmm. It's not just he's a comedian or that, you know, it goes where it goes. The comedy is very real. And, and you know, I, I, it's brilliant, brilliant material. And that's one of the most underrated things in our culture are these the legendary sitcoms. I think, what did it rate? Rolling Stone just did a ranking. And it's yeah, they just, they just ranked it third um, with Cheers and The Simpsons ahead of it. But, okay. you know, hey. Listen, the, uh, I got the old TV guide behind me here that says it's the number one comedy ever. So, you know, it's subjective, but. Yeah, I'm not uh, really. I mean, this, every, those shows, I would say like Family Guy's a hilarious show too, you know. And it, but the longevity, if I watch Cheers, I feel dated to that time. It's still funny. Um, and Seinfeld's super 90s, but I don't feel, I, I feel like the comedy might be a little. Uh, have a little bit more length to it. I don't know how you judge that. Yeah. yeah. I think similar, like, like everyone can go through something like that, the parking spot, an argument, and, and, like, rooting for one guy or the other. It's just incredible. But, like, but that episode, you know, we go through episodes and we notice, like, ah, oh, Kramer had a down episode, Elena had an episode. Like, everyone was so strong on the episode. But not only that, you, like, at the end of the day, stole the show with Mike Moffat. So that that's the brilliance of the show. Like all four and Newman brought their A game, and then you brought your A plus game. Like that was just. I, I mean, you know what? I'll be honest. Like you know, you have to go for it in this business, right? You have to. So what, yeah, Mike. I mean, it's our Mike Lee. What was <laughs> um like? Was anything like ad libbed, or was everything like in the script? Like. Did you have an opportunity to kind of... Uh, they don't pay me enough to write that stuff, bro. And, and you know, it's all vetted. Like I say, you got to remember that the rhythm of the show is established with by if Larry writes or Jerry and the way they the, the show a sitcom. It's, it's, it's alchemy. So the opportunity for anybody to ad-lib is very limited. The only right, ad libs right. I got into, I got into some ad lib in the trunk in the Susie. Right. That was all my stuff. Like, you know, the, the, I mean, the opportunity to make the faces and I, I knew what they were saying. They're not telling me what to do, but within the, the realm of, of uh, the parking space, it's all about hitting the marks, getting the line perfect because the rhythm of the line, it's like yeast and baking powder. I like to say this, drama is like cooking. We can all make a steak, it's gonna be a steak, whether it's well done, rare, medium, rare. But when you bake, if you don't get it just right, the chemical, it doesn't rise. So that's the subtle difference of, of, of comedy. You know, what makes a joke work can be one extra word or one beat before you say the punchline. So the, the rhythm is, Jerry would rode me a couple times for uh, stepping on his laughs. Mm. 
right? You know, I mean, Jerry's an older, so I was like, the in Hebrew school, you know, like teaching me to play for the left. And it was true. He was right. I'm a theater guy. I'm driving this train. I mean, I've done a lot of shows. I'd entertain right. a lot of people, you know, but, you know, you've got to be smart enough to listen to the boss in this business. Right. So, so we mentioned, you brought up the Susie, your second episode. So, you know, Full disclosure, we're not as big as fans of the later seasons as we are of the earlier seasons of Seinfeld. We just think it's it's a different tone. It's a different type of comedy. It kind of gets a little more well, Larry David's gone. Right. Larry David's gone after season seven. We also look at it after season five. Tom Sharoni's goes as well, the director, which changes some things a bit. Curious, you know, was that noticeable when you came back in season eight? Was there a different tone on set? I mean... Not good or bad, just could you tell, or was it just a machine? Different. At that point? I mean, I mean... It, it had been, it was so successful. Right. And the week that I was there was the week it was announced. I think they were getting, I mean, Jerry got a million and a half, and that the other guys were getting what, two, two, four, uh, two, six hundred thousand or something. And uh, they'd come a long way. Right, right. They right. were just as nice, you know. I mean, to be honest, there's not like, I did most of my small talk in that show with Jason mm. and, and to a certain other extent, um, that was the mo like any other stuff that we would talk about that wasn't show related. He and I connected. He's one of the nicest dudes in the world. Not that the other guys aren't, Mike Richards as well, mm. uh, knew about my theater company. Um, but like, I know enough not to, like, try and, like, be the best fucking friend, you know, when I'm just a guest star on the show. You have to let that happen. It's one of the most awkward things in the business. And I don't know if anyone's ever mentioned this, but coming on to an established hit as right. a guest star is scary business. Everyone knows. It's very intimidating. Yeah, I mean, you had, at least you were there. You were there in season three, you know. I had that. I had that. Yeah. yeah. I, I had that leg up, which was wonderful. And they treated me like I was a cast member. How did like, they bring you back? They just said, we got a part for you. And this, well, did you finish up? I'm sure you didn't audition, right? They knew it was Moffat. You're coming back. They wrote it for me. Yeah, they wrote it for you. So Yeah. Greg Daniels, in fact. Right. I was going to, yeah. It's, that's a and so name. I want to say that he was an early champion to get me back. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those guys are so amazing. All of so, the writers. Yeah, it, it wasn't noticeable then as far as, you know, Andy Ackerman directing versus Sharonis or anything like that. It was just kind of business as usual. Uh, season eight, they're, they're churning there. I mean, Andy was a little bit more new school, but they both were legendary pros. Right, right. You know, I mean, Sharonis was a little, <laughs> I think he moved on to, I think he followed Larry Charles to Mad About You or another, I mean, he went to another I think top. He went to uh, news radio. Okay. If yeah. I recall, yeah. Yeah, but um, I mean, they're they're moving. Those are lateral moves. They're chess pieces, right? You know? New position, kind of. A, I don't know if he got a did, producer did, director thing. That maybe that started later in TV. Lee, I mean, but did yeah. you mention Larry David wasn't there? Was that a? Did you notice that on set? Because you mentioned, and uh, we talked with John O'Hurley, who was on the on the Susie with you as well, and he said he would always, you know, encourage to ad lib. It doesn't sound like that happened as much on the on the Larry structured shows. But did and you know? I mean, I know this, like the John, like Peterman character was obviously, he was another level up in terms of how they trusted him. Sure. They paid him more, right? Like when you're at my level as a character guy, and even if it's your second show, 
unless they say to you ad lib like i'm not gonna go there i like like even on pirates like that for sure those words are vetted it's gone through all those levels right my job is to say it exactly like you write it if they write a typo in it i'm saying the fucking typo well uh, listen i'll disagree with you on this you were by no means at a level below any guest star on Seinfeld. I mean, why'd you tell him? Come on. Can Peterman do that? Comedy, just in the way that, listen, if he did, I mean, Wayne did how many, 70, 80 episodes? I don't know how many he did. Right? Oh, Newman? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, John O'Hurley did, I don't know, he did probably 20. Ian Abercrombie, another buddy of mine uh, from theater in L.A. I mean, as Mr. Pitt did a bunch. I'm saying those guys might get a little more free reign after five or six. Right, right. Play. I'm uptight in that situation. I want to do well. I'm, I'm, I'm watching out for uh, being too comfortable. Now, like when I'm on That's Once fair. Upon a Time and I'm doing 60 episodes and I'm in the pilot, and I'm a main supporting character, I'm a lot more comfortable. Sure. On the second Pirates, you know, a year in. I mean, it's just, you got to be smart, you know, like in terms of like, if I could get away with that, and I was that kind of funny dude, yeah, maybe it's more about that. So you mentioned you and your wife kind of arguing this morning and saying you're the Costanza. So it sounds like you were a, a pretty big Seinfeld fan. Like, see, like I know when you got the audition, you knew it was a pretty big show. I know it wasn't Thursday night yet. Big. I mean, it wasn't big when I got the first one. I knew that it was, uh, it was just starting to be, I mean, it was, but those jobs, like that's for sure. That's how I survived was getting a gig. Right. I've been a professional actor since 1986 with no backup job. So my my anger about the audition was I didn't want to drive in the traffic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it was very Seinfeld. It was not about the material. Right. The material was great. I was just too, I mean, the, the lessons that we learn as we age is that a lot of the stuff that we sweat, it doesn't matter. And that would be the thing I would tell my 25-year-old, 30-year-old actor self is just enjoy it. These are the good days, you know? And it wasn't, it was just like, you know, you're, you're, you're in a rush to be successful in this business. And, and really the journey is the game, you know, to stay in it. And yeah, that's how it is. That was everything, man. It's the long game. What, what, what did you, uh, what did you think of the Moffat, the Moffat change like this, this, the second episode What'd you think of his story of, of the bookie and all that kind of stuff, the broken thumbs? I mean, I um, thought it was kind of kooky, yeah. you know? I thought it was uh, uh, great to be back. Of course, yeah. I thought it was, I love being involved in it. I loved it. Uh, getting the thumbs broken, get to, you know, this, the whole thing was to me, it was a, it was absurd. Right, that's what the second, that's what season eight and nine became, it was absurdity, but what's theater, but I funny, it's just absurd comedy. Theater. Theater of the Absurd, like uh, by like the French great playwright called Ionesco and these other great, it was a whole movement. So that absurdity really points out the vagaries, you know? So I think the show was always of the absurd. Good sitcom, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it always went to that level. It was about, it was never about the muffin. It was about the muffin top. 
right? Went <laughs> to the play. absurd. The great, one of my favorite bits ever is George trying to get the rocking chair to the guy in the men's store. Yeah. Right? Great episode. Yeah, absurd. Absolutely, the Frogger. Absurd, yeah. Absurd. Well, the Frogger's late. That's what we're saying. It's late. That's when it got more absurd. I guess is my so, point. So, but I got you. so I think in a way it almost got to be more on point later. Oh, I see what you're saying. It was always absurd, and then what it got, it finally meshed at its peak of absurdity. That's the one yeah. way to look at it. John O'Hurley kind of said that too, right? O'Hara, he 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 was a big proponent of the later season, saying that Larry David's. What do you say? It was a crutch or something. They were kind of leaning on Larry David as a crutch earlier on. And then when he left, they were able to go crazier. That was his take on it. What was the name of the character that's in the bed and he's in the hospital and he's, Jerry's trying to make him laugh? Uh, Brings his A game to him. <laughs> was that Al Necci? I, I'm drawing no, no, no. Maybe not. Uh, no, Al Necci is the guy that, that, that tells but George. The actor, that Michael Rifkin, great actor, good friend of mine connected with my actors gang and the Tenacious D crowd and, and a lot of great stuff. Uh, Michael said, I remember this specifically, he was a young actor, he landed the part, I'd already been on it, so it was after mine, like Alden or something like a one word name or something. Um, but it was still during the Larry David time. And he said to me, he goes, oh man, I made a mistake. Go, what'd you do, dude? He goes, I made a suggestion to Larry David. <laughs> And Larry's, Larry's response, I'll never forget it. And I think it answers what you're saying. He goes, he just was like, hey, no, you don't know funny. I know funny. Uh, <laughs> Phil so Fatola think, was his name, by the way. Yeah. And so, oh, so all right. That was the same episode with he took it out, right? At the, with the land. Oh, he took it out. He yeah. And Al Neschke's in that episode too. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, so. That's funny just about back, Larry though. That's, that's, I could see him doing that. So Lee, back to the Susie episode. Um, so clearly a different, like you were just kind of had scenes with uh, Kramer and Jerry. Like we didn't have the re reuniting with George. That, did yeah, that ever? With the girlfriend and the dress and the, the, yeah. the legendary thing for that is the answering machine song. And he'd sang on the, that to me is like one of the legendary parts of that episode. And when, and I love the, the beats with uh, Kramer when, he's representing the girlfriend and they're like, we broke up and they're like, they're, they've had this relationship. I mean, there's some great stuff in the episode, but it may not, yeah. A story, B story don't really mesh like some of the others. <laughs> yeah, listen, full disclosure, like yeah. I said, I put your first, first episode in the top 10, we have yeah. the Susie, let's say pretty low. Nothing to do with you. In fact, we, we, we pushed, we, one of my arguments about the Susie not being so good was, that your character and the other one was so great. I, I wanted them to give you more in the Susie than they gave you. That's one yeah. of my arguments about the Susie. Okay. Full disclosure. I, I was just happy to do the gig and be back. And it was kind of like to, to, to make the double, it really locked me into the world where suddenly I was part of the cast. And again, you know, in the character level that when you get to belong to these worlds, hmm. You know, it's probably one of the most exciting parts about the fandom. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to ask you about that because you're in the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, which has got to have a huge. Uh, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an international movie star. Yeah. Through that, okay. And then Once Upon a Time was a huge hit, too. Right. right? Another you, more you fantasy. Guys, you know, I'm just an actor. 
By the right, way, right, right, right. So do you yeah, think I'm trying to see if the Seinfeld fandom is is as big or bigger? Like, what are you more recognized yeah. for as as walking or as just walking yeah. around the street? It depends. Yeah. Now it depends honestly on who the person is that recognizes me. Right. And where I'm being recognized. So the East Coast of America, if I'm in Jersey at a convention, I'm in Manhattan or whatever, it's going to be Seinfeld. And it's going to be, yo, Mike! <laughs> it's going to be on the street. They're going to yell at me. Right, it's right. Man, that Michael Jordan show is phony. That's what I do. <laughs> like, a lot of times it's, yo, Mike, how's your thumbs? Because <laughs> they remember the thumb bit, you know. like Right, right. Thumb. I got, that's usually what they'd want me to sign if I'm signing a picture from that uh, episode or whatever. Um, but the pirate, I wear a lot of makeup. So the interesting thing was, you know, when I was a young actor, one of the frustrating parts of being it would be you meet somebody and they go, hey, what do you do? I go, well, I'm an actor. And the question always is anything I've seen, right? So up until Pirates, I mean, they might not have seen Seinfeld. Right. They might have missed Axe or Tales from the Crypt, right? The world saw Pirates. So from that moment on, which was what now, 20 years back, the joke was on them. Because my craft fooled them. You know? Right. They, they, I go, I'm like, hello, puppy. And then the look on their face, like, oh, man, you don't talk like that. You know, the acting part blows their mind. Right, right. Like, you, they're, they're, they're recognize you as the character, obviously. You don't but when I walk around in life, I'm a lot closer to the Mike Moffat. The Moffat, you know? right. Yeah. I don't look yeah, like Yeah, I Moffitt. mean, I I can feel Moffat, like, through the screen here, Lee. It's crazy. But, yeah. you, I mean, you listen, you're on Perfect Strangers, Roseanne, like, Friends, Married Children. Like, what, what was the, like, differences on those sets versus the Seinfeld set? Well, I mean, I got more to do like in the on the Seinfeld really they actually gave me like I said they gave me the ball the other ones were pretty good paycheck jobs I mean they were all fun married with children I mean I'd work with Katie on the tales from the crypt mm. so there was a and and I knew Ed from the dojo so there was good I've connected there Faustino's became a friend of mine uh, everyone was really cool on that show the funny thing on the married with children was they were such pros we hardly ever rehearsed mm. I forget, it's my memory of that show is just coming in and in the poker scene, I played with a lot of cronies of Ed's poker buddies and some of those guys are legendary Chicago actors. I mean, it was a real fun, I remember that was fun. When I did Friends, a buddy of mine was from UCLA was one of the producers and it was like a one-liner or two-liner and he goes, he sold me on it. He goes, hey, I've got this part for you. I was like, well, you know, it doesn't really inspire me. He goes, but listen, I just want to tell you, the Seinfeld New York rarely intersects the Friends New York. I was like, thanks, I'm going to do it. And it's really been true. It's been a great residual to have. Oh, a lot sure. of people have seen it. It's a recognizable character telling. The Phoebe Bite Me Blondie was written uh, on the day in secret, and she didn't know I was going to say that. So that was cool. Yeah, it was a neat moment. Yeah, Um, she has an improv background too, I think, right? Oh, they're all they were talented. I love that cast was amazing. They were they were they were they deserve every bit of their stardom. Very cool people too. I knew Schwimmer and I knew Jennifer Pryor, but everyone else was you know they were 
Ultimate Pros. Um, Perfect Strangers was my very first ever TV show. I used to watch that show. It's like yeah, I'm a big Balky guy. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. Balky. I remember that, that was. A, I had a great role for my first role. I was Leon, the human discount department store, selling watches. Like, want to buy a watch? And they ran a sting on me, and that was, that was a great. Your, that was your first gig, gig, right? I mean, first professional television show. I'd done some movies, and I had been on stage as a professional, but it was my first like network TV show. Yeah. Any preference between big screen or small screen, like, or they're just completely different? Well, I mean, now everyone wants to be on TV because you get to play a character longer. Uh, there's, I mean, the movies that they're making are not as, they're not making as many movies. Right. I mean, not saying movies are dead, but, you know, it's, it seems to me the best stuff is right now is on television, which, you know, television, when I started, it was stigmatized. You couldn't be the two. There were movie actors and TV actors. And you could transition from TV to movies. And I guess they would go back, but people didn't really straddle both worlds. You know, what's funny is you mentioned that, but there's no sitcoms anymore, right? I mean, for the most part, it's it's these well, like CBS long... Has some, and, and ABC has some family shows like Goldberg's, and they have the family fair. CBS has the kind of like the Chuck Lorre deal. Right. Right. So they have, you have like stables of writers the same way Bruckheimer was associated with Disney and wherever they hang their shield, Shonda Rhimes, you know, had the ABC overall deal. So those dramas would be a big part of their lineup. They're gambling on these like content creators, you know, and sitcom is kind of not, doesn't got a place as much on there. Um, so it's more expensive than the reality shows. Oh, listen, we know it always comes down to the dollar. So we know, like, obviously you were on Seinfeld twice. Um, have you ever had the opportunity to work on Curb or is that something you'd be interested in? I think I got to audition for it like once. I, I forget. I mean, it's weird. Like, forget was on, the, on pirates during that time i mean there was like a five-year chunk of my career where i was making pirate movies and i was yeah. like yeah so it's a good problem to have you know right of course if you, if you were on curb you would you would have to be you basically have to be moffat yelling at larry the way you yelled at george you know it's like that would be yeah. like perfect. Yeah. forget and you know i worked with uh you know i knew Puba jeff garland from chicago when he was in Second City and I was doing theater with Cusack and those boys, starting a company, helping Cusack get going in Chicago with a theater company. Um, so that would have been 80. These are my, this is right when I'm starting. These, I mean, I'm a, like I went to high school with the Brat Pack guys and then, you know, college with this next group. And so I've been like, you know, I'm, it's great to be part of it. I feel like, you know, I, I, I've, I saw a lot of history and I was even part of some of it. So you knew, you know, you knew that's what you were doing from from get go as far as acting goes. I mean, at really UCLA, did. you're in LA. You went, like you said, you went to the Brad Pack guys. I mean, that was that was your you were set on yeah. that. Yeah, and theater was sort of my in because, you know, face it, like character guys, you know, like they're not those the guys I talking about from high school, like Sean Penn, Emilio, Rob Lowe, Robert Downey Jr. You know, some talented. I don't know, if right. I'm like good looking, you know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm the Jew fro going, you know, whatever. 
I had to grow into it as a character, dude. That's the that's the deal, you know. But I had the talent, I had the fortitude, I had the backing of my family emotionally, you know. Like my mom, I just lost my mom last year. She passed away, um, and uh, she was my banker. She had my back. I mean, being an actor, it's like it's sketchy times, you know. But you have to be ready. My life changed. Now it changes in an email or a text. Back then it would change like with a, we used to have pagers. Mm. Be on the golf course, I'd get paged. I have to go find a phone, you know? So, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I'm real lucky. I, I wouldn't, you know, maybe I would change a few things or maybe land one role here or there. But, I, dude, I think I did pretty good, you know? And I think gratitude. Oh, yeah. But gratitude is really a good thing for all of us to remember. It's a practice. The same way that you practice yoga, you practice meditation, we practice gratitude. Meaning that we don't, it's not about getting it perfect. It's about practicing it. And it's a natural antidote as you age, and, and especially the toxic male that we hear about. Um, mostly for dudes. It is a good way to be okay with yourself when you get into your 50s and there's shit that you messed up or you didn't accomplish and you have to revise a dream. Mm. Yeah, and it's that, well, right, I can man. feel that you probably got that groundness from your mother and that's, uh, that's just a great thing. And uh, we're sorry that- uh, I appreciate lost. it. You know what? She was 93, called her own shot. Awesome got to hang out with family during COVID, which only get to do when you like go hospice out. I mean, she was like strategic in her death and kind of like, she was a boss lady. My mom, my mom ran the show. Is that, let me ask you, is it, cause I felt like you have such an edginess to you and that like the Moffat character, you like, you seem like a New Yorker. I know. You mentioned all these guys in LA, and they, they seem I'm a, to have- I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an LA kid. I grew up in- No, I know, but like- oh, yeah. you, yeah, the the like the character you play and just like your whole persona, like yeah. have an edginess to you. I mean, don't you know the thing about growing up in LA? LA is a gnarly big city, right? But you're lulled by the palm trees. <laughs> yes, it's always you spent the last degrees. fifteen years in Venice Beach, you know. Right. So I mean, come on, it's like it's often, yeah. I, I put that, I put Venice Beach right now up against the pretty much. I'd go right to the South Bronx. I mean, it's you're looking uh, for it's gnarly now. All yeah. right, Lee. Uh, before we let you go, give me your uh, your top three favorite Raiders of all time. Wow, good question. Howie Long, the Villanova grad. Yep. Tim Brown. Oh, Notre Dame. You're not going to go Marcus Allen. He's USC. I know you won't do it. I won't do it because he's and and also because like that. I would say my third favorite Raider of all time going to be lester hayes nice the db all right we like it with the stickum, the jerry curl there was a thing about the raider mystique and I, i'm hoping we sort of get that swagger back where teams were scared to play us we had an energy and, and a kind of a a passion for it where we were hard hitting and you know took no prisoners and you know i can pirate i can relate not the not the Jets, man. We 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 wanted you. We wanted you. We wanted Tim Brown. Did yeah, I? Yeah, right. The Jets are going to be. The Jets were yeah, very man. very. I think smart in what they did. 
Oh, right now, yeah. For the first time. You, in want, you want Aaron Rodgers, uh, Lee? I see him making that move. I really don't. I could see us totally doing it. And he's MVP caliber. It's what would it cost us? Car's not the answer. But if you look at his numbers, he's pretty solid. He gets a lot of the blame, you know. Um, he's serviceable. I blame Gruden. I blame his red zone offense. I blame I blame that defense. Let's see what happens with the new D coordinator. And, you know, they they missed out on their draft picks. Ruggs was a bust. Jacobs. He's young. He's young. Right. I mean, it's it's true. Like I'm saying, like, this is a make or break year. It's the fifth year of the deal. He's got his players in place. Uh, they'll run yeah. the PM before they run the coach because of the buyout. But. It's cool though, man. I love sports. Yeah, I love I, the thing I love about sport, and I love that Seinfeld to tie it one back in. We know how much of a big, you know, fan of sport Jerry is. Yeah, right? the way they involved the Yankees in that show. You know, have do you guys know Tom Wright? Yeah, yeah we're trying to get him on. We've asked him a hundred times. Oh, you have? Yeah. Well, tell him you just had me. He used to be my neighbor in Venice. <laughs> you kidding? Tell him I told him, yeah. Tell him I told him to get his ass on here. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Lee. Yeah, Mr. Morgan. Yeah, we yeah. would ask him. Listen, we ask him they, Mr. They, Morgan forever. They touch Polis, every sport. Joel Polis, of course, the shrimp. You know, Jer they've they've run out of you, the jerk store. Jerk store. Yeah. Right? Joel was in my very first show I ever did in uh, as a professional actor. So I mean, the, this world connects many many people. Awesome. Yeah, and you touch on it like Seinfeld and sports, and and I think that's why it resonates so much. Like whether it's the Yankees, the Giants, the Knicks and Rangers, the Yankees, like Jordan sure is phony. Michael Jordan, I'm like what a line. I mean, the Reggie Miller, the Reggie whole thing of the Sharon Miller has it. Yeah. Out, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Sharon Miller's little brother. I mean, they they knew. You know, there was there's a there's something beautiful. About like, you know, if you're a Mets fan or a Jets fan, the futility. And then, you know, like a buddy of mine was had a script that he was kind of trying to get together that's sort of, you know, about the uh, the Mets, the lovable losers. They won the city when they were the worst team ever. It's the way they played, you know. And, mm. and so New York is a city that, you know, if you can if you get the right New York show the world gets it. It's a world city. And that has to do, I think, with the sports, the passion that it takes to be a New Yorker and that you recognize in me, the passion that takes to sometimes be an actor too. You know? Yeah. Well, 100%. Lee, uh, w this has been a, a real treat. I mean, we loved you as Mike Moffat. I mean, you're a your class act and uh, thanks again for joining us. For, for Thank coming. you, Lee. This was awesome, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, you guys. Get and you know, um, good luck. You know, keep going. You guys are definitely make it. It's very rare when the you get asked unique questions in this business, and you guys manage to do it a whole hour of stuff that I don't usually get to talk about. So <laughs> you got a very unique cool piece of history right here. All right, go, hey, go, really hey, Raiders, it, Jets, AFC Championship this year. Dude, I love it. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll meet you in Vegas or I'll come out to Jersey, man. I'll look for you guys next time I'm out that way. Very done cool. and done. All right. Thank you, Lee. Have a good night, man. Thanks, well, Lee. Guys, Thank all you. the best. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you.